I guess they figured we didn't need a picture on this one, but whatever. Human beings evolve throughout their lifespans, it says here. AEMTs must be aware of the changes a person undergoes at various stages of life. It may alter your approach to patient care, and it will alter your approach to patient care. But why is it important? What are the things that we need to pay attention to as it pertains to patients and patient assessment when you're talking about the different age groups, so to speak? What are some things you think will be different about their vital signs, maybe? Blood pressure, heart rate, respirations. As a general rule, from birth to about 18 years of age, when you're born, when you're a newborn, your your, your pulse rate is much higher. Okay, your respiratory rate is going to be much higher. But as the child grows and develops, come on in. The vital signs start to slow down and they continue to slow down until you reach about 18 years of age and then they are about what they're going to be throughout the rest of your life-ish, okay? Why is that? Why do you think that is? Why are your vital signs, why does your heart beat really fast when you're very young and why do you breathe really fast when you're really young and it slows as you get older? Does anybody have a clue? Okay. Yeah, well, none of that is wrong, but what you need to know is, you know, all of our body systems have to work, obviously independently, but they have to work together, right? Your respiratory system and your cardiovascular system hasn't learned to fully mesh and work together till you're about 18 years of age. So basically, little kids have no oxygen reserves, Okay. It's just like your hot water heater that stores up hot water when you need it. But then you've got the other hot water heaters that kind of heat it as you need it. That's the kids. That's the pediatrics. They don't have any extra hot water. Okay. They have to heat it up as they need it. Okay. Um, How many of y'all either have small children now or have little brothers or sisters or cousins or niece or whatever, but about... Two, three, four, whatever. All right. Now, if you have something to drink and they see it, what do they want? They want exactly what you got, right? And they pick it up and they take a big old swallow of it and they put it down. What's the first thing they do? They take a deep breath, right? Why do you think that is? They don't have oxygen reserves because the cardiovascular system and the respiratory system doesn't mesh fully until about 18 years of age. So that's why the vital signs are fast and trend down for the first 18 years of life. And, you know, when you get into assessing patients, you know, not just the vital signs, but there are different techniques uh, when you do your patient assessment. You'll learn when we get to the next chapter, as a matter of fact, I think, when you're doing a full body or patient assessment of an adult and you're having to check them out for injuries, you're going to start at the head and you're going to work your way down. It's going to be a full body, head to toe physical exam. Now, if you just walk up and start grabbing a child's head, what's that going to do to them? 
It's going to scare them. So it's a it's a toe to head approach. You got to let them warm up to you a little bit before you get to the head. So the age of the patient will alter the things that you do and the things that you consider normal. And if you don't know what normal is, you're not going to recognize abnormal, right? So they will definitely alter. Ooh, stop! What are you doing? I bet that's going to sound manly on my recording. (laughs) Neonates and infants. The medical prefix neo, N-E-O, means what? New. So a nate is, I guess, a born, huh? What's the difference between a neonate and an infant? Okay, but is a neonate not an infant also? It's just a specific infant, right? Uh, Depending on what book you're reading out of, they'll say uh, birth to one month of age. Some of them will say birth to 30 days. Some of them will say birth to 28 days. Roughly the first month of life, you were considered a neonate, a newborn. And they absolutely do develop and grow at a very fast rate. Uh, especially that uh, first month and really the first year of life. All right, everybody write this down and and understand this. As we go through these different stages of of, uh, growth and development, they're going to tell you about pulse rates and they're going to tell you about respiratory rates and they're going to tell you all of these things. Just note that as they get older, they're slowing down. But this is what you need to know. The normal respiratory rate range for an adult is 12 to 20 a minute. An adult will, on average, breathe 12 to 20 times a minute. That is, quote, unquote, normal. A child will breathe 15 to 30 times a minute. An infant will breathe 25 to 50 times a minute. You still see that trend that it's slowing down as they get older. But as we go through these different stages and you see these, you know, just note that they're slowing down as they get older. I'm sorry, what did you say for Infants 25 to 50. That's what you need to know. You need to be able to say that in, in your sleep. 12 to 20, 15 30, 25 to 50. The normal... Adult heart rate or resting heart rate should be between 60 and 100 beats per minute. So, in general, what do you think a child or an infant's pulse rate would be then? More than 100, right? And that's normal. All right? What's the normal body temperature for... Just people. 98.6. Neonates, 98 degrees to 100 degrees. An infant, 96.8 to 99.6. But just know whether you're talking about a neonate or any infant of any age, is it important to help them conserve their body heat? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because... Uh, 
if you get cold, what is your body's reaction or what does your body do to generate heat? You begin to shiver. An infant cannot shiver. So that's one reason why you need to make sure they're covered up and kept warm. An infant cannot shiver. They cannot generate their own body, additional body heat through shivering. Cover their little head, right? That's where we lose most of our heat from anyhow. Kids are not just little adults. That's a medical and political statement. All right. Neonates usually weigh six to eight pounds, three to three and a half kilograms. I think any child born that weighs less than 5.5 pounds is considered premature. But they will double their weight in the first four to six months and triple it by the end of the first year. And, of course, at birth, the neonate uh, has to come off that shore power, right? Like a camper. They transition from fetal to independent circulation. They were dependent on the mother's circulatory system for the most part through the placenta until they're born. And then once they're born, they transition to their own. Common sense. Neonates are primarily nose breathers. So how big of a problem does nasal congestion become at that age? And turns out they're prone to nasal congestion. No, they don't understand. How does an infant tell you that they're cold? How do they tell you they're hungry? How do they tell you they have gas? How do they tell you they can't breathe through their nose? How do they tell you they want to be held? Listen to me. In your chosen profession here, a crying infant is a wonderful thing, though. It might be aggravating to a parent after hours and hours and hours, but as far as you're concerned, if you come up on a scene and you hear an infant or a child in there crying hysterically, that's great. That's a great sound to us. Because if they're crying, they're doing what? They're breathing. And if they're breathing, they got a pulse. Because look here, you cannot have a pulse. You, excuse me. You can, uh, <laughs> you could not be breathing and have a pulse, but you can't not have a pulse and be breathing, if that makes sense. So if they're screaming, they're breathing, and they got a pulse. So it's all good to us. Rib cage is less rigid. And the ribs sit more horizontally. They're, they have not calcified completely yet. They're still cartilage for the most part. So does that affect those pressure gradients? Expanding that chest wall? It does. Infants are also, it doesn't say it on here, but if you count the infant's respirations, is the chest wall really going up and down in an infant? Or what's going up and down? The belly. They're belly breathers and nose breathers, okay? That's because those ribs are not calcium yet. They're not really expanding like they should when those muscles contract. 
infant has uh, proportional to the size of their mouth, infant has a larger tongue and a short, narrow airway. Everybody in the room needs to write down that the narrowest part of the pediatric airway is at the cricoid ring. Where's the narrowest part of the adult airway? The glottic opening. That space between your vocal cords. As far as pediatrics, the narrowest part of the airway is at the cricoid ring. C-R-I-C-O-I-D. Cricoid ring. So if you're ventilating, knowing that the ribs aren't calcified, the lungs are smaller than an adult, if you over, how hard or easy do you think it will be to overinflate their little lungs if you're breathing full? Easy. And what kind of problems does that cause? If you overinflate their lungs, that's too much pressure, right? Barotrauma, B-A-R-O trauma. Now, if you're using a bag valve mask ventilator for an infant, it's going to be smaller. But just understand, it doesn't matter. It really and truly doesn't matter what the age of your patient nor the device that you're using to ventilate them, the positive pressure ventilations. How can you always be sure that you're not going to cause any barotrauma? You're squeezing the bag and the chest begins to rise. When the chest stops rising, what do you stop doing? That's common sense, right? All right. The nervous system continues to evolve. Everything's truly evolving, uh, and especially at neonate and infants. Um, but but a newborn is born with certain reflexes, and you need to be familiar with these different reflexes for test taking purposes, but also. When you deliver a baby, because if you stay in the EMS long enough, you will deliver a child, you need to see that they have these reflexes, okay? The Moro reflex. Somebody look in the book and tell us what the Moro reflex is. The startle reflex. Startle reflex? How do you startle them? Um, it happens when they're surprised by something. Yeah, okay, but what, what do, does it say what they do to kind of... They separate the old fingers and the hands come up, right? Palmer grasp. What does the book say about that one? Yeah, basically you're going to place your finger in their little palm and they should grab it. If they grab it, that's normal. But if you lay it across their palm and they don't react and they don't grab it, you know there's some sort of neurological deficit of some, some sort. The rooting reflex, what is that? That's correct, which leads us to the sucking reflex. What does it say? When an infant's lips are stroked. So basically, if you rub their cheek, they should probably turn toward their head toward that direction, right? And if you rub their lips, they should act like they're trying to uh, suck because they're trying to feed. Yes, sir? For the rooting reflex, that's the dripping, right? What if they, like, if they're You talking about for the palm or grasp? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, if you if you put your palm your finger in their palm, they should grab it. That's the normal reflex. And if they do anything other than that, there's something going on. The child might be hypoxic, may have a real slow pulse rate, not getting enough oxygen, something. Or it might be some sort of trauma associated with the birth itself. But anything other than them grabbing your finger is considered abnormal. Fontanelles. They have two of them, right? One's in the front, one's in the back. What are they called? Anterior and posterior. Soft spots, right? That's where those sutures have it completely calcified. The bones have it completely come together. And again, just the act of birth. Why is it important that those plates aren't fused together yet? So they can get out. That's a fact. And as you get into your assessment of infants and newborns, sunken fontanelles mean that the patient's dehydrated. But if they're bulging up, that means there's an increase in intracranial pressure. Increased ICP, intracranial pressure, ICP. Any questions about that? All right. Growth plates aid in lengthening of bones. Where are the growth plates located? The medical term for the area of the long bone where growth plates are located that we talked about. Huh? Epiphysis is the end, right? The diaphysis is the shaft. So what's that little flared out part between? Yeah, metaphysis. The metaphysis, yeah. And what is produced in the uh, canals of the long bones? Red and red blood cells and white blood cells. But talking about infants and neonates, no. Where is it produced? The liver. The liver until the bones get bigger. Renal system, infants and neonates, they're pretty much, when they urinate, they're pretty much just expelling water. Their body hasn't developed the little nephrons in the kidneys, um, uh, haven't developed to the point to where they can filter the uric acid out yet, so it's pretty much water. Therefore, they can dehydrate pretty easily, right? Yep. The immune system, they have passive immunities that they acquired from their mother for about the first six months. And if they breastfed, uh, they received additional immunities from the mother that carries them a little bit further into life before they uh, start going to daycare and places like that and getting everything from everybody else and developing their own immunities, right? Man, what's wrong with him? He wasn't allowed to have a cookie. A cookie, or maybe. He's breathing. Yeah, he's breathing. Psychosocial changes begin at birth, um, and I don't know if 
this chapter is really going to talk about it, but I'm going to go, go, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it because this is kind of where this starts. But, you know, they bond with caregivers, okay? But there's something, too, that, um, um, you, and that's called a secure attachment, pretty much. If they bonded with a caregiver, they know they're there for them, they're supporting them, they're helping them, or whatever. But if a child of this age is, like, crying, wants to be held, is never held, is rejected a lot of time, they, they develop their own attachments. But it's called... Uh, They develop what's called an anxious avoidant attachment. In other words, they learn not to need to be picked up, not to need to be attached or bonded with anybody. Certainly, you don't have to call any names, but I know you know at least one person somewhere that you met in your life that just doesn't really care if they're around people or not. They just, matter of fact, they kind of prefer to be by themselves. Anxious avoidant attachment. That's just a matter of opinion, buddy. I don't think so, but that's just my opinion. But that's what it is. And registry might ask you about anxious avoidant attachment. So, uh, Again, the changes begin at birth. They evolve as you interact with caregivers and other folks. Uh, crying is a main method of communicating anything. But anything that the infant doesn't like, right? So this won't be on your test or nothing, but if you run a call on the infant and they're crying, and every time they cry, they pull their knees up, what's wrong with them? The stomach. Probably some sort of gas, right? Infants can develop a secure attack. There you go. Or anxious avoided attachments with caregivers. Uh, Separation anxiety is common in older infants. Once they get up closer to one year of age, and they've definitely develop the secure attachments you take them away from their primary caregiver and they don't like that they don't they have separation anxiety they're not going to like it and these are things you need to pay attention to because if you go to a home and they say there's a one-year-old or maybe they're a year and a half old or whatever and they're crying with the caregiver you take the child and the child stops crying does that tell you anything or potentially tell you some things. You just document objective findings, just the facts only. You don't get into your opinions, okay? But they should be anxious of you because they don't know you, right? Especially at this age. Infants desire planned, organized routines, and they gain trust in caregivers and certainly develop a sense of mistrust. And if you walk into the room and they're conscious, alert, and oriented... Their eyes should pick you up because they know they've never seen you before, right? And and if you walk in and you walk straight up to them and they don't even make eye contact with you, they act like they don't care that you're there, that could speak to their medical condition as well. They're, they might be sick because they should pick you up and watch you, especially once they get around one year or a little bit older than one year. Toddlers. 
toddlers, one to three years of age. What's the normal respiratory rate range for an adult? Child. 15.30. Infant. In a resting adult, what's your normal pulse rate? Child would have something slightly higher, right? Toddlers, one to three. Preschoolers. Three to six years of age. What's the normal respiratory rate range for an adult? Child. Infant. What's the normal resting pulse rate for an adult? Anything slower than 60 is called bradycardia. Brady means slow. Anything less than 12 times a minute, well, uh, anything faster than 100 is called tachycardia, T-A-C-H-Y. Slow, fast. Bradycardia, tachycardia. If you're breathing less than 12 times in a minute, that's called bradypenia, P-N-E. Let me write that one. Bradycardia, tachycardia. If you're breathing slow, P-N-E-A, you're usually looking at some sort of breathing, okay? Bradypenia, breathing less than 12 a minute as an adult, right? So, if you're breathing over 20, tachypnea, T-A-C-H-Y-P-N-E-A. With the toddlers and preschoolers, that passive immunity that they acquired from their mother is gone. They start to, I guess, accomplish some sort of neuromuscular growth. Renal systems start to develop. They're starting to process some of that uric acid out now. And teething begins. Those are the fun times. They're chewing on everything, crying and running a fever, right? That's right. They learn to speak and express themselves. They begin to master basic language. Interact and play with other children. And they begin to understand cause and effect. Before this age, uh, if they get hurt, they might even think that it's really some sort of punishment for being bad or something like that. They don't. But now, at this age, the, the develop, developing the cause and effect, they they begin to get um, comprehension to the point that they know. Well, I, I scratched my knee. I fell down. That's why my knee hurts. It's not a it's not a punishment or anything. Uh, they learn to recognize sexual differences. They begin to recognize. School age children, ages 6 to 12, school age, 6 to 12. 
What's the normal respiratory rate range for an adult, child, infant? What's normal pulse rate for a resting adult? If it's less than 60, we call that. If it's faster than 100, all right. If they're breathing less than 12, if they're breathing more than 20, or tachypnea. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> School age children will grow uh, or add an additional four pounds a year, roughly. Uh, of course, the brain activity increases in both hemispheres and the permanent teeth come in. School age. But that frontal lobe's not really fully kicked in yet, right? Kids are not little adults. School age is a critical time where children uh, start to learn different reasonings. And you need to know the definition of these three types of reasoning. The goal is for the human animal to reach post-conventional reasoning. Some of us never get there, okay? But pre-conventional reasoning... Is what? Somebody look in a book and tell me what pre-conventional reasoning is. Children act almost purely to avoid punishment and to get what they want. To get a reward or avoid punishment. That motivates everything that they do. That's, that's their pre-conventional reasoning. The conventional reasoning kicks in, and that's the one that uh, gets a bunch of folks in trouble, right? What, what else could we call conventional reasoning? It's peer pressure. We're doing things that everybody else is doing, right? What's the book? How does the book technically define conventional reasoning? Looking for approval from their peers or society. That is that peer pressure. And again, the goal, ultimate goal, is for everybody to reach post conventional reasoning where we make our decisions based on what we feel is right or wrong based on our beliefs and our ethics and our morals. Okay? Bless you. School-age children begin to develop self-contact concept. I'm sorry. Self-concept and self-esteem. Adolescence. 12 to 18 years of age. This is where their vital signs level off and kind of are real close to an adult's vital signs, right? And why is that? Why 18 years of age? The respiratory system and the cardiovascular system has kind of meshed. Excuse me, at this point, they're working together uh, just like an adult. They've developed these oxygen reserves. So, in adolescence, normal respiratory rate would be what? 12 to 20. Pulse should be 60 to 100 normally. During adolescence, there's a rapid two to three year growth spurt. Girls finish growing about 16. Guys finish growing about 18. Uh... 
the reproductive systems mature, secondary sexual development takes place. During adolescence, the females start having their menstrual cycle, and boys begin to produce sperm. And this one might surprise you. I don't know. But adolescents and their families often deal with conflict. When I was 17, my daddy didn't know nothing. So I thought. Then you spend the rest of your life realizing how much they really knew. Privacy becomes an issue. They want their privacy, right? Self-consciousness increases. uh, And again, they may struggle to create their own identity and... Antisocial behavior peaks in about 8th to ninth grade, it says here. So registry may ask you about antisocial behavior, and you should know that it should peak about the 8th or to ninth grade. Peer pressure, obviously, is a major factor here. That, that uh, pre-conventional reasoning really kicks in. They develop a greater interest in sexual relations. And they begin to develop their own code of ethics, their own ideals and beliefs. All right, here we go. Early adults is 19 to 40 years of age. Early adults. 19 to 40 years of age. Uh, from 19 to 25, you should be functioning at its op- your body should be functioning at its optimal level. If you are currently between 19 and 25, raise your hand. Understand it's all downhill from here. <laughs> body should be functioning at its optimal level, 19 to 25, but 19 to 40 is early adult, okay? Lifelong habits and routines develop here. If you're not exercising now, it's going to be harder for you to do it later on, trust me. Uh, If you are exercising, you probably do it most of your life. Eating somewhat healthy, these are things, this is the, most of the people in the room raised your hand. So you need to start establishing these things now. Wear and tear on bones and changes in body tissue and muscles begin. Um, when do you start dying? 40, 24 at birth. I've heard all kinds. Of, I can tell you, Jeff, Denny's perspective on it. I think you begin to start dying around about 38. That's what I think. Now, you start losing bone density around 38 years of age. So that's when things start you know, you, you get shorter as you get older and stuff like that, too. So you start losing bone density at around 38. So that's just my opinion. That's not going to be on your test or anything. I'm so depressed, yes. Oh, you, you ain't got depressed yet, buddy. <laughs> all right. So 1925, top notch. You're functioning. You're clicking on all cylinders right now. Get ready, though. 
as an, for an early adult, life centers on work, family, and you get introduced truly to this thing called stress. Uh, you strive to create a place for you and your family uh, so you can settle down, marriage. Your children are born typically during this part of life. Uh, typically, again, we're talking 19 to 40. Some of the most stable years of your life will be during this time frame. It's all downhill from here. All right, 41 to 60 years of age, middle adult. That'd be me. My vital signs haven't gotten too bad yet. They're pretty much the same still as an early adult. Still functioning at a high level, y'all. Okay? Don't doubt me. But I am vulnerable to vision and hearing loss. That's a fact. I can't hear crap. Especially if it's like in a wide open area with background noise. I'm going to ask you to repeat yourself about three times. Cardiovascular health uh, becomes an issue. People are having strokes and heart attacks earlier and earlier now, right? That's a fact. So these things are um, starting to become an issue. You start to build up plaque because of uh, poor eating habits, sedentary lifestyles, things of that nature. You build up the plaque, and it leads to the, to the other issues. Middle adults. Cancer incidences increase. You begin to develop diabetes, hypertension, things of that nature. Of course, that would be adult onset diabetes or type 2 diabetes. If you're female, you, you're looking in the face of menopause, late 40s, early 50s. But the good news is eating right and exercising can diminish the signs of aging or the effects of aging, but it's not going to make them go away. What's the only thing that's going to make aging go away? Death. Death. Turns out that's not a good option. All right. Middle adults focus on achieving life goals. Uh, emptiness sometimes, right? The children grow up and leave home. But as the children are growing up and leaving home, who might be coming back? Their parents. Sometimes they're in a position of where they have to care for children and parents. Okay? But generally have the physical, emotional, and spiritual reserves to handle these life's issues, this additional stress. Leading cause of death in this age group are unintentional injury. Now, why is this slide so unintentional injury than, say, toddlers, preschoolers, school age, adolescent, early adult, 41 to 44? What, what are they talking about? Somebody look in the book and tell me. Why is this slide laid out like that? Yeah, but who's more so prone to it? Uh, young adults, 
Younger, right? Did you find that in the book or you guessed it? It's just a leading cause of death in this age. There you go. Early adult. Unintentional injury is leading cause of death. But now as you get into the older age bracket, so to speak, then other things kick in. Like I said, you have cancer. The big C word, right? Heart disease and cancer. So, how many of y'all are wanting to get into the fire service? I know some's already in, but if you want to get into the fire service, what kills more firefighters than anything else? Cardiovascular disease. Heart attacks. Cancer's rising, but cardiovascular disease. There's something to that going from zero to a hundred, too over years it kind of takes a toll on the body older adults 61 and older what is the current life expectancy in this country by 78 but that's always changing right 47 years yeah the life expectancy depends on many factors the year you were born what medical advances, what medical treatments were available, you know, during your lifestyle, the country where you were born. All these things play a role. Somebody tell me what is another term that you need to know. Terminal drop hypothesis. What does that mean? And what is a hypothesis to begin with? It's educated guess, right? So what is terminal drop hypothesis? I don't care where you find it. It should be in your book, but if you can't find it in your book, Google it. Goggle it. Start that over, brother. In the five years preceding death. It is the hypothesis or the educated guess that assuming you die of natural causes, of course, five years, the last five years of your life is when your mental functions and everything else starts to decline. Terminal drop hypothesis. I also want you to write down... It, as we go through the different pathophysiologies uh, in the medical chapters, patients younger than five and older than 55 have a harder time compensating for different illnesses or injuries, like burns specifically. Less than five years of age, older than 55, the body, the, these patients have a harder time compensating for and dealing with these types of injuries. But it's not just burns. That's just an example. But you need to know those ages. Younger than five and older than 55. What do you mean by compensating? Like healing? Yes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I thought you meant like mentally. 
Nope. Some older adults experience polypharmacy. Medical prefix poly means what? Many or multiple. So what does that mean in English? They take a lot of medications. That's a fact. Not all. Some do. And is it important to get a list of all of those medications and be aware of what they do to the body when you're doing your patient assessment? Yes. Absolutely. Because you will be, they will clinically present with effects of the medication as much as anything else. In the older adult, cardiovascular system declines with age largely due to arthrosclerosis. That's that plaque of fatty tissue that's building up into your coronary arteries, blocking them off. Your heart rate and cardiac output decrease. Normally, the left ventricle contracts, the heart ejects how much blood? Seven milliliters, and we call that stroke volume. Well, as you get older, you start to lose some of that. Your vascular system becomes more stiff. It, it can't constrict and dilate as easily as it once did. So will that affect your blood pressure? Yes. Ability to produce replacement blood cells declines. Blood volume goes down. That, who's that I told you? You ain't depressed yet? This is what you got to look forward to. So what you do is you are just as nice to old folks as you can be. And hopefully karma is going to repay the favor when you get old. But if you mean to old people, you're going to get your ass beat when you're old. I'm just telling you now. Size of the airway increases as smooth muscle weakens. Surface area of the alveoli decreases. You're bringing in less oxygen, right? We've already said that the vessels are getting stiffer and can't compensate for pressure changes as well. So it kind of limits sometimes the ability to circulate that oxygenated blood too, right? Okay. The natural elasticity of the lung decreases. And there's loss of mechanisms that protect the upper airway. What's that leaf-shaped structure that protects your airway? Epiglottis. So it ain't working right neither now. Which age group do you think comprises a, a large percentage of your patient population? Them old baby boomers. They're, they're still around and kicking, right? Uh, muscles weaken that can lead to airway collapse vital capacity of the lungs decrease residual volume of the lungs increases you're retaining more air in the lungs can't expel as much people tend to slow down physically uh, but a lot of times they don't decrease their food intake so they're eating more 
relative to their physical activity, they're not producing as much insulin. So what develops? Diabetes. Mellitus. Diabetes mellitus. There's two types of diabetes. But the one we deal with is mellitus. Diabetes mellitus. Metabolism decreases. Changes in mental status may be the result of blood glucose level changes and reproductive system changes to some extent uh, in the older adult. But um, smell and taste kind of diminishes a little bit too. So do you think that as it pertains to food intake, could that be a problem? Especially if they're living by themselves, right? Renal filtration decline, uh, uh, yeah, declines, kidney masses decrease or decreases. The ability to clear waste products from the body and conserve fluid decreases. So, all these changes in the digestional tract may lead them to not eating as much could lead to malnutrition or maybe they're eating things like I said sense of smell sense of taste starting to diminish huh use more salt because I think I want to say the salt is the first taste that starts to decline I'm pretty sure so I know I'm in trouble because I ain't eating nothing without putting salt on it now so I'm in trouble Taste bud sensitivity decreases, teeth become weaker, saliva secretions decrease. Depressed yet? Yes. Gastric motility slows. You're going to move things through your digestive tract slower. Could lead to constipation. Gastric acid secretion diminishes, so you can't break down the food as well. Gallstones become increasingly common. And the old anal sphincter changes, reduces elasticity. Oh, <laughs> you know, I know what I was told. I know what my granddaddy told me. He said, son, when you get to be my age, never pass up an opportunity to pee and don't trust a fart. <laughs> right there. Pops knew what he was talking about. Hey, your brain weight decreases. <laughs> your brain's getting smaller. Listen, that's not just, could not lead only to medical issues, but that could be a trauma problem too, right? Now, I'm not getting into a uh, ICP lecture tonight, but basically the brain is surrounded by bones, right? We talked, we wrote down the seven of them just a little while ago. So if you're bleeding in your brain, and your brain's in that cranial vault, it can't swell out because of the bones. So it has to swell in and gets to exerting pressure on blood vessels and nerves and things of that nature. And that's how, that's what produces the clinical presentation that we'll be trained to look for in the trauma patients, right? But if your brain's starting to shrink, there's a space in there now. There's a void in there that has to fill up with blood first 
before you start seeing the clinical presentations. So you can't be lulled to sleep in the elderly patient that's been injured. They may be they may be bleeding, you just don't know it yet. So there you go. That's what I just said. Most older adults can see and hear well. If you want to uh, never assume that that little old lady at home by herself can't hear you properly and talk real loud to her, because if she can hear properly, she's going to let you know about it. Some, however, may need eyeglasses or hearing aids. Now, and if you run across, especially, I'll go back to the same little old lady, let's say she does have hearing deficits. And she doesn't have her hearing aids in when you get there at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nobody else around. Is it important for you to stop what you're doing and help her find her hearing aids or her glasses? Absolutely. Will that affect her vital signs if you don't? It's going to stress her out. And what's going to happen to her pulse rate or blood pressure and all that? You're going to see the results of her anxiety as much as anything else. You need to make her comfortable. There's an increasing number of older adults in the United States uh, has produced a need for more assisted living facilities. How many of them are growing up around Calvary County alone? And how many of them are already in Florida? Bunch of them. It says here that finances may limit access to health care or medication. Um, and again, a lot of things are generational. Let's say, uh, I don't know, let's just say a 68, 70-year-old male or female, it doesn't matter, that's alive today. What are some things that they've experienced in their life? Wars. Wars. What else? Yeah, but I'm talking about things that's going to shape their thinking. Well, sure, death. A lot of family members, loved ones, friends, they're all dead, maybe. Great the Great Depression. What did the Great Depression? When well, you take a 70-year-old male today, when he was a little boy, if he cried about something, what happened? Or if he complained about anything, what happened? It was a different mentality. A lot of things truly are generational, Okay. Um, what I might rate on a scale of 1 to 10 with 10 being the worst pain I've ever felt I might say something's a 9, 9 and 3 quarters somebody that's 70 may say 2 and he ain't going to say much about it because he was taught not to complain okay so if they yes sir you know what I noticed what? I noticed a lot of people say like a lot of older people say like after they'll never give you the right time they'll say like it's 10 minutes after so and so I yeah. Something generational, I'm sure. That goes back to something they were taught when they were younger. Um, but complaints of pain or anything else to begin with, if they lived through the Great Depression and they they thinking about they're hurting and they're thinking about an ambulance, what's the, what's the first thing they're thinking about? Oh, that bill, paying that bill. So if they call you, you probably need to come on, right? Because it's probably more serious than what they're telling you it is, and. You know, as far as chronic conditions that they take medications for, you know, medicine doesn't work like this, but 
to save money, they might do what? Cut them pills in half and only take half instead of taking the one like the doctor said. But the medicine doesn't really work like that. So these are the things that might affect them. says we need to remind older adults of their self-worth. Now, why would the EMT curriculum say something like that? So, older patients, the older adults, uh, might suffer from a decent amount of depression, right? And again, I hate to keep going back to just the males, but this is generational. It was a different time back then. 70-year-old man today, what was his role in the family? He provided for everything, right? He, he took care of his family. He was the one that folks come to for the answers, right? Now, he needs help going to the bathroom on a regular basis. What does that do to his mind? Absolutely, it's gone. Depression kicks in, big time. Teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than any other age group. Elderly males are more likely to be successful. Those are the ones that you never saw coming. They just go out to their building in the backyard and do what they think they need to do. And you don't know nothing about it until until they're found. Typical. Typical. All right, this right here. In five years proceeding to death, mental function uh, is presumed to decline. What did we call that? Terminal drop hypothesis. And older adults face the issue of mortality more than the rest of us. What's another reason, and this is a real fear, especially elderly females, They fall because of osteoporosis or whatever. You know, postmenopausal ladies, the bones really start to get thin. They fall, possibly break a hip. Why would they not want to go to the hospital? They're in a tremendous amount of pain, but why would they not want to go to that hospital? It's it's greased rails from there, right? To begin with, they're in this home that they managed and took care of and raised kids in for how many years, possibly. So they don't want to leave their home. But they also know they go to the hospital. From the hospital, they go to a rehab facility, more affectionately known as a nursing home. And they never come back home and they die in that place. That's a real fear. Because they've seen friends do it. Uh, they've seen family members do it. So uh, they're dealing with more than the physical pain when you show up. They're dealing with mental things as well. And so, you know, they may not be that pleasant to you because of it too. But when the day comes that you can't be pleasant to that little old lady, no matter what she's doing to you, go find something else to do. All right? Any questions?